0: Okay, today we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 20. I would invite you to grab a Bible and find that passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 20. The cross compels change, and you can follow along in the outline in your program. Cody Huff was a professional bass fisherman on ESPN. He had been very successful in his work until a co- cocaine addiction uh, took Over his life. He burned through his $600,000 savings account. He lost his house, his Harley, and his boat. This once successful guy became a homeless man in Las Vegas. Cody's social status changed um, quite drastically. Those who had been his friends were no longer his friends. Cody slept at night in a park in Las Vegas with homeless people. One day, a group of volunteers from a nearby church, Central Christian Church, came to the park to hand out sandwiches to the homeless. Volunteers told uh, Colby that Cody, that he could shower at their church. And, you know, church was the last place that Cody wanted to go. Cody hadn't bathed for so long that even homeless men told him he smelled bad and they didn't want to be around him anymore. So Cody decided to go over to the church and get a shower. There he met a lady named Michelle who knew him from the homeless ministry and past experiences. Michelle spoke first. She said, Good morning, Cody. How are you? She paused and then she said, Cody, you need a hug. Cody said, Honey. You don't want to touch me because I haven't had a shower for three months. Michelle walked up to him, looked directly into his eyes, and gave him a big hug and told him that Jesus loved him. Cody said later, In a split second, I was somebody. She even remembered my name. That was a point when I knew that there was a God who was alive in the world. And over the next several weeks, Cody's life was transformed. He placed his faith in Jesus. He started leading a Bible study in the park for homeless people. Within a couple of years, uh, Cody was married and had a new partner in ministry to homeless people. God changed Cody Huff's life from one of disaster to becoming an ambassador for Christ. And it all started by a lady uh, who was a greeter and welcomed Cody with a warm embrace. God changed Cody's life. God has changed my life. Perhaps God has changed your life. Our passage today is about that life change. It's about the cross and how it compels change. So I want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Last week, we were in the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. The Corinthians were a group of believers in Corinth. They were the church at Corinth. This week, we're going to look at the second letter that Paul wrote. Uh, This is an early letter. This would be around 56 AD. Now, if you know anything about uh, Christianity, that's very early. So the first point I want you to see, and you can follow on your outline, the cross compels us To change the way we view Christ. The cross compels us to change the way we view Christ. That's what happened with with Cody. Now, when I'm talking about the cross, I'm not talking about just that wooden crossbar and stake in the ground. I'm talking about what that means, the implications of that, that Christ died on the cross, and when he did, he paid the penalty for my sins and offers me the gift of salvation. It accomplished that. It paid the debt for my sins. It was a ransom payment for my sins, and he redeemed us. And I know that he has redeemed me. Those are the implications of the cross. Christ's love compels us to change our priorities. First of all, verse 14. The apostle says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. This is about Christ's love for us. Christ's love compels us, his love for us, and it compels us, it impacts us, it motivates us to change. Uh, His love motivated the apostle Paul, and Paul clearly teaches here that Christ died for all people because we are... We are convinced that he died for all. His death was given in, in exchange for the death or the payment for all sin penalties. He paid it all for every person in the universe for all time from the beginning until Jesus comes back. And it's paid. Now, not everybody benefits it apart from faith. But His death was for all. And then in verse 14, it said, Therefore, all died. So here's the question. Are you dead? Do you know the answer? Well, the answer is yes and no. It's a good answer when you don't know. Yes and no. Um, I'm going to jump. I forgot to tell my PowerPoint person. Could we jump to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20? couple of slides down, maybe three or four. Oh, perfect. Very good. And the Apostle Paul um, writes, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I've been crucified with Christ, Paul says. Now, I memorized that scripture very early as a follower of Christ. Um, it's very meaningful to live by faith because he loves me. He gave himself for me. And I have this uh, confidence. I now live by faith in the Son of God because he loved me and he gave himself for me. I'm compelled to live. It's kind of a similar idea that Paul is using in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. But there's a difficult concept here. I have been crucified with Christ. That would be true for all believers in Jesus. We call it co-crucifixion. It's kind of a hard concept to follow. What does it mean that I have been crucified with Christ? And so I'm going to take a little extra time to try to explain that this morning. The reason I'm going to take a little time with this, because it's really foundational to the Christian life. It's really foundational... For your walk with Christ. How do you overcome sin in your daily life? How do you overcome difficult struggles? And this is a foundational concept. And it's about this, co- this concept of being co-crucified. This identification with Jesus. When I uh, placed my faith in Jesus on September 29th, 1974, about 4.30 in the morning... I gained access with God for the very first time. I got connected with God. I got connected with Jesus spiritually. Um, I was, what the Bible refers to as, "not united to Christ. That's a concept used uh, very often in the New Testament, being united to Christ, and uh, One of the descriptors of it is when the Apostle Paul or other writers say, "In Christ, you are in Christ," and it means you got connected. How how did that happen? Well, it happened when after Jesus died for you and you placed your faith in Christ. One of the benefits was you got placed into Christ, into His spiritual body, the body of Christ, which is the church, the spiritual body of Christ. You were in the world, and you were now placed into the body of Christ, okay? Let's go to another big passage, and I, um, I'm going to take a minute to look at this. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? This is a concept that we often use to picture baptism, water baptism, baptism. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So here's a picture right here. In water baptism, a person, uh, when, they, when they go into the water, we call it immersed, they go into the water, and it's a picture of death, burial, And then out of the water is a picture of resurrection to a new life. It's a picture of what happens in our salvation. This is it. This isn't the picture. This is the real deal. This is the spiritual ramifications. You were baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now, that means a lot of things to a lot of people, and and people are very confused about what that means. But but here's uh, what's happened right here. You are immersed into the body of Christ. God takes you out of the world, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, places you into the body of Christ. You are immersed into the body of Christ, and you identify with his death and burial and resurrection to a new life. You get connected with Christ, and you get all the benefits that he uh, took, that he received when he died on the cross. And rose again. It's a difficult concept. It is foundational to you understanding what has been won for you. What does that mean? Well, let's let's go on to the next slide. For if we have been united with him, that there it is, united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his, for we know that our old self was crucified with him. There it is again. There's that death, that co-crucifixion our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So because we get connected to Christ and his death has overcome sin and been set free from sin, we get that benefit. We are now set free. We don't have to sin anymore. We had no choice before. We're set free. It's like being set free and now living in slavery because we don't either appreciate the freedom or we don't want the freedom. We like running our own lives. But there is a truth that's foundational to the Christian life that you are set free and you now can live the Christian life. You now can follow Christ. You now can obey you now can overcome sin you now have resources to do it it's because of this next slide now if we've died with christ and if you've placed your faith in christ you've experienced that Uh, i wouldn't say you i would say it's true about you there's no necessarily experience for it but it's you have the righteousness of christ applied to your account For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. That's good news. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, this is crucial, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is about truth. This is about what you believe. If you don't believe that you have the power to overcome sin, you're stuck. You're deceived because you do. You have been set free. Count yourselves dead to sin because you have died, because you have identified with Jesus and that's been charged to your account and his resources are available to you and to me. And last slide. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. This is is a part of the command. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and to offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Offer yourselves to God. This is about lordship. This is about Jesus being the master, not letting uh, sin be the master, not letting food be the master, not letting alcohol be the master, not letting another person be your master, but letting Jesus be your master. Not letting pornography be your master, let Jesus be your master. He has done the work and you're free. You don't have to go that way. It's your choice. Problem is, we either don't believe this, we don't understand it, or we like Another way. There's a lot of confusion about this subject. And uh, some people let envy be their master. Some people let anger be their master. Um, and some people just want to be their own master. So uh, here's another way to look at this uh, how Christ's love compels us to change. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through. Uh, oh, yeah, I got to go back. I'm sorry. Thank you for your patience. Um, do we have Philippians chapter 2? The cross compels us to change the way we view Christ. F- Philippians chapter 2 should be the next one up. There we go. Should Whoops, back. There you go. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, there it is again united with Christ. How did that happen? When you placed your faith in Christ, God took you out of the world and he placed you into the body of Christ. That's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's how you got united with Christ. You were immersed into the body and you got all the benefits of Christ when he did that. You got his righteousness. You didn't deserve it. We call it grace. You got forgiveness. You didn't deserve it. You were were made a citizen of heaven. You were made a child of God. You were born again from being united with Christ. If any comfort from his love, this is an experience. Have you ever experienced his love? Have you ever experienced his comfort? If any common sharing in the Spirit or fellowship, have you ever uh, experienced uh, fellowship in the Holy Spirit? If any tenderness and compassion, have you ever experienced tenderness from God or from God's people or compassion from God's people? Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in Spirit and of One mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Next slide. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Christ's love compels us to change. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Now we go back to Christ. Verse 5. If your relationships with one another had the same mindset as Christ Jesus... What was that like, the mindset of Christ Jesus? Well, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be used to his own uh, advantage? Sorry, I just slipped into old translations. My mind is not totally renewed yet. <laughs> um, so this is who Jesus is. He came from heaven. He could have hung on to this glory of being God, but he humbled himself and became human, which must have been utterly humbling to, to become a baby and uh, have no skills and no abilities and have to have mom take care of all of his uh, needs. He humbled himself. Verse 7, next slide. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance. As a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. As humiliating as it was to be cursed on a tree, on a wooden stake, and experience the curse of God, that was total humility, and he did it because he loved us. Christ's love compels us. That's the message of the apostle paul so that's a lot of groundwork um way more than you expected but this is kind of foundational and i just wanted to say that now let's look at the next we got to go back to uh, b Um, christ's love compels us to change our choices and behaviors verse 15 christ's love compels us excellent and he died for all, that all those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. He died for all. Paul saying what he already said in verse 14. That those who live, he died to make a change, that those who live, that those who have placed their faith in Christ should no longer live for themselves, but should now live for Christ, the one who died for them and was raised again. So, simply put, the Christian life is not about us, it's about Him. We should no no longer live for ourselves. Life is not about me, me, me. Our lives are about Him. We are to live for Him. We have a new purpose, new priorities, new choices, and new behaviors. If you were a follower of Christ, it should be changed. That means, am I an honest person? Am I a kind person? Do I tell the truth? Am I trustworthy? Am I a gentle person? Am I a forgiving person? Do I struggle with lust? Christ's love compels us to change. To change our choices and our behaviors. And... So, here's what we've said so far. The cross compels us to change the way we view Christ. He is the master. He is Lord. That's what this is about. His love compels us to change. So, uh, when you think about how, how has Christ impacted your life, would you say that Jesus is Lord of your life? You're submitted to him. You're surrendered to him. And above all, you want to follow him. That's what's at stake. Secondly, the cross compels us to change the way we view people. Verses 16 and 17. And verse 16, the problem of uh, the worldly point of view. The problem of a worldly point of view. Yeah, we're on to 2A. The cross compels us to change the way we view people. The problem uh, A is the problem of worldly point of view. Verse 16. So from now on... We regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Now, this was a major change for the Apostle Paul. We have to remember who he was. Just a reminder, um, Paul was a highly trained religious professional, a Jewish Pharisee. And he thought he was more important than other Jewish people because of his religious training. He was one of the most important men in the world, a little bit prideful. And he thought the Jewish people, his people, were more important than all the other people in the world. And so this was the worldly point of view. This was looking at the externals, what was valued in his culture. Um, But Christ changed all of that. The apostle Paul found out that all people are important to God, that Jesus died for all people. It's not about the externals. It's not about economic status. It's not about social status. It's not about religious affiliation. It's not about an educational degree or a civic club or politics or having the look or a perfect body. I don't know that Paul cared about the perfect body, but that's the implications. The worldly point of view values popular opinion, not what Christ cares about, not about his perspective. Now, the Apostle Paul even used to view Christ in this way because when he looked at Jesus from a worldly point of view, what he saw was an uneducated carpenter, a young guy with delusions of grandeur, um, falsely, uh, a false view of his self, someone who was very deceived and misguided and trying to take other people with him, And not only that, he experienced, worse of all, he was the curse of God because he was nailed to the cross. How silly is that from a worldly point of view? Also, verse 16, the need for a Christ-like point of view. The need for a Christ-like point of view. Um, Paul says, Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Something's changed. We don't view it this way any longer. It's had a major impact on the Apostle Paul, and it should have a major impact on us. You see, Jesus sees people with potential. This is the heavenly perspective, and it's the opposite of the worldly perspective. Without Christ, people um, are lost. Not inferior. They're lost. They have potential to become Christ' followers. And this is this reminder, John chapter three, verses 16 through 18. The best-known Bible uh, verse in all of the Bible is John 3:16. "For God so loved the world that He gave us one and only Son, that whoever, any person, doesn't matter who you are, any person. Who believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now we like to hear that. We like to be reminded of that. God loves us. We believe we get eternal life. We get a new life. We get an abundant life. Verse 17, which is not so well known, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Jesus was the Savior. That's why God sent his son. Next slide. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son this is where we can divide the world into two groups one group who has believed one group who has not the apostle paul cares about the group who has not believed we sometimes just focus on oh i've believed my family's believed my friends believed but what about the group that hasn't believed That's what's on the Apostle Paul's heart. So, um, Christ's love compels us to love people, even if they haven't had a shower for three months. Verses 18 through 20. Number three, the cross compels us to change the way we view ourselves. The cross compels us to change the way we view ourselves. Um, Look at verse 17. We are a new creation with a new capacity to please God. A new creation with a new capacity to please God. Verse 17. This is one that uh, I memorized as a brand new Christian right off the bat. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. It's pretty exciting to be something new. So when I placed my faith in Jesus, a lot of things changed. I was a new creation in Christ. The creator, God, created me to be new in Christ. Um, I was born spiritually. You know, we we say born again spiritually. Um, I was uh, being born again. I was a new baby in Christ. A babe in Christ. It's the only time I was ever a babe as a new Christian. Now I had the capacity to please God. It, it never existed before I came to faith in Christ. Think about this. We often forget. The only person who can please God is someone who is in Christ. No matter how many good things a person does outside of Christ, it does not please God. God, it does not count for an eternity, um, and that's what it means to be new, to be created in Christ, I had a new capacity to please God, verse 17 also says the old has gone, old priorities changed, old desires changed, old behaviors changed, the new has come, new priorities, new goals, new behaviors The new came to me, and I had a new desire to know truth. I spent five years in college majoring in philosophy because I was pursuing a kind of truth, the meaning and significance from a human perspective. But after I placed my faith in Christ and understood that the Bible is the Word of God, I had a tremendous new desire to understand biblical truth and to pursue it. I wanted to pursue more moral purity because I spent a good part of my early adult life uh, pursuing uh, impurity. I wanted to be an honest person and a forgiving person. And I wanted to tell others about Jesus. The new had come. No, I wasn't perfect. And yes, I still had to deal with old, old patterns and old habits. But I had a whole new way of dealing with all of those things. Verses 18 and 19, we, we have new responsibilities called the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. Uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 18. All of this is from God. What? What's from God? Well, Christ's love. He loved me so much that he would send his son Jesus and die on the cross for me. Um. The old has gone. The new has come. This new creation in Christ. It's all from God. It's God's work. He sent his son. I didn't deserve it. I didn't work for it. I didn't earn it. It wasn't about anything that I could do. It was about what God did. All this is from God. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We have been given new responsibility. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation and the message of reconciliation. Uh, So, like, what's reconciliation? Well, it's not unlike needing to be reconciled among friends. The situation is, um, our sin separates us from, from God. all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. And there's a barrier between God and man, and it's a sin. And that puts enmity between God and man. This from a theological perspective, there's a no relationship, a barrier. Reconciliation is God's work in Christ. It's God's work clearly when Jesus died and paid the penalty for our sin and we place our faith in Christ and get connected to Christ, then that barrier is removed. The enmity between God and man is removed by God, not by us, but by God. It's a part of the gift of our salvation. And that relationship is reconciled now. We are in relationship and it's because of what Jesus did for us, the cross. And we now have a ministry and a message. Uh, Romans uh, 5.10 puts it this way, For if while we were God's enemies, and that's how a non-Christian, that's how an unbeliever stands before God, as an enemy of God, even religious people who don't have a relationship with God are enemies of God, whether they know it or not. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of a son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only this, not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. So we have been reconciled, and uh, according to Second Corinthians 5:18 and 19, we now have a ministry of reconciliation. It is our job now to help others be reconciled to God. It's the ministry of reconciliation. That's why we're here. That's why the church still exists after 2,000 years, because we have a ministry of reconciliation. We're to tell other people how they can be reconciled to God. And we've been given a message of reconciliation. It's an amazing thing. It's called the gospel. It's good news. What is that? Jesus died on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. That's good news because it paid the penalty for sin. Good news. We, are, we have a message. It, it, it's an amazing thing. We don't have to go out and sell anything. We don't have to hit people over the head. Here's the good news, folks. Our job is to share it so people can understand it and they get a choice. To believe or not to believe, it's their choice. Um, Jesus gave uh, this same assignment to his disciples in Acts 1.8. This is right before he ascended into heaven. And Jesus told them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So he's giving them instructions the day before the church started in Acts chapter 2. He says, I just want you to be, have a heads up here. You're going to receive tomorrow, you're going to receive power. And the Holy Spirit's going to come on you, and it's going to change everything. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's what Jesus wanted. He wanted them to be witnesses. What does that mean? He wanted them to go tell the truth. Just tell the truth. Tell your story. Don't try to make up anything. Don't fabricate anything. Just tell the truth. What has God done for you? You can only tell your story. Be a witness. Speak for God. Speak the truth. That's what a witness does. And God uses you, who you are. You don't have to be somebody else. Just you and your story. Verse 20, last verse. We're almost there. We have new identities as ambassadors for Christ. We have new identities as ambassadors for Christ. Verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So... Scripture says, you and I, if we're believers, are ambassadors for Christ. Jesus is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and he's made us ambassadors. He's kind of important, and he's given us an extremely important role. We are to be his ambassadors. We are to represent him and our world every day. We have been sent with his authority to make disciples of all nations. We are his ambassadors. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says this, But our citizenship is in heaven. When you place your faith in Christ, you became a citizen of heaven. You have citizenship papers in heaven. Now, you know what? You're going to spend a whole lot more time there than you are here. This is life that's temporary. You're going to spend maybe 70 to 90 years. Some of you are going to go beyond that. But it's going to be temporary compared to eternity. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, Lord Jesus Christ. See, we don't belong here. This is just temporary, and we've been sent here as ambassadors. Ambassador, a couple of definitions. First definition. A diplomatic official of the highest rank sent by one sovereign or state to another as a resident representative. An official of the highest rank. so what an ambassador is. As an ambassador for Christ, you represent Christ and have one of the highest ranks. And you've been sent by one sovereign. How about his name being Jesus? He is the one who sent you. And he sent you to be his representative here. And your state is Wisconsin, most of you. Most of you in Eau Claire. A few of you have other locations. The second definition, this is from the famous dictionary.com, 2014. Second one is a diplomatic official of the highest rank sent by a government to represent, to represent it on a temporary mission as for negotiating a treaty. So you are an official of the highest rank as an ambassador for Christ, sent by the government of heaven to represent a temporary mission, the Great Commission, and to negotiate a treaty, to negotiate terms of peace, to negotiate reconciliation of people. You are ambassador for Christ. Um, you are an ambassador for Christ just like the greeter from the homeless ministry in Las Vegas. You are an ambassador for Christ when you go to be with your family uh, this Thanksgiving. You are ambassador for Christ to the person sitting next to you in your class, or maybe your roommate. You are an ambassador for Christ when you go to the grocery store. How do you represent Jesus? How do you represent Jesus to a salesperson in the store? How do you represent Jesus when you're driving in traffic and you're late? How do you uh, represent Jesus as an ambassador for Christ when you're on a date? How do you represent Jesus as an ambassador for Christ when you serve in an outreach ministry? The question is, will people see Christ in you, the hope of glory? Let's stand and pray. Father, I thank you for your word. We've covered a lot of ground today and looked at a lot of different passages. And the main thing is is that Jesus died for us and his love for us should compel us to change. And that's my prayer for all of us today that we would just be in the process of wanting you to help us change and to be more like Jesus, that you would work in space and time in our lives right now just to help us to continue to mold us, to continue to take steps to follow Jesus. And Lord, may we represent you well in our world. May we see people the way you see people, not from a worldly point of view, about success, because it's not about rock stars and movie stars and superstars, but it's about ordinary people who are loved by God. Help us, Father, to um, tell that to our world and to show that to our world. For Jesus' sake, amen.